Welcome back one and all to the Practicology Podcast. This is episode 87, in which we're going to be looking at Psalm 73. We've called this episode Asaph's Deconstruction Story. Deconstruction is a big word. We've been asked to speak on it a few times. We're going to take a few episodes to, to talk about it. But maybe, Matthew, we should begin with just briefly talking about what we mean by deconstruction. I know we can hammer this out a little more in a future episode, but, but what, what is deconstruction? What, what do you think of when, when you use the word? Well, when you say this is Asaph's deconstruction story, recognize, I guess we're recognizing that uh, it's not always, that, that concept isn't always 100% bad. Asaph is a believer, and he ends up in a very good place in this psalm. But I think generally as we speak of that term, we're, we're talking about people who are realizing, they will say, they are realizing that some of the building blocks of their faith, what they were taught, they're no longer sure of. And so they are taking those blocks down um, and they are often in some measure walking away from their faith. Yeah, you're right, Matthew, that often it can have a very uh, negative connotation, and many of the deconstruction stories we've heard of, they end poorly, where people are deconstructing, they're dismantling their faith. Uh, but there, there can be a, a positive twist to this, and, and this happens to people who are having serious doubts about their faith, but um, God brings them through it. And so I want to share Asaph's uh, deconstruction story here from Psalm 73. And uh, I've listed five things that Asaph has to say to those who are deconstructing or those who are having major doubts about, you know, what they've been taught about the Christian faith and so on. And, and so here's the first thing I think he would say to you, if this is you or, or if you have friends who are in this, he would say, you're not alone. Number one, you're not alone. So if you read through Psalm 73, it's sort of Asaph looking back on this journey he's been through, a journey through doubt. He begins in the first verse saying what he knows now to be true. What he, this is what he heard growing up, and this is what he reaffirms at the end of this journey. He says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But then he says, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Asaph came to a point in his life where he was seriously questioning the goodness of God. Like, that's a, that's a very fundamental truth about God, right? It's a very fundamental truth of the faith. And, and Asaph goes through an experience in which he seriously begins to doubt it. And he says in verse 13, you know, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. We're going to talk about this in more detail shortly. But he comes to a point where he's asking himself, does it pay to be godly? Is it worth it to live? You know, I'll just transpose this into New Testament Christianity. Is it worth it to live as a Christian? Do nice guys always finish last? And so Asaph has been here already. He's been down this road and he's saying to us, you're not alone. I, I think it's just so encouraging to hear that this is actually in the Bible. We should be amazed at this. The, the Bible doesn't ignore our struggles with faith. It doesn't try to silence objections to faith. It faces them head on. I remember walking through a very difficult time with, with someone who was close to me. And we both read Psalm 73 and were amazed at how 
actually God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was expressing my friend's doubts better than he himself could articulate them. And so the Bible uh, is not shocked that we would struggle with our faith. In fact, it, it expresses our doubts. It expresses uh, these struggles better than most of us can. So maybe you're thinking, oh, you know, here I am, I'm with all these other Christians, and I'm the only one who's questioning, I'm the only one who's struggling, I'm the only one who's different. Well, here's Asaph. He's, he's you know, one of the chief musicians for the worship of God, and he is on the brink of spiritual disaster, but God pulled him back from it. Yeah, I also appreciate, Mike, that God is up to this challenge, this challenge of of our doubts at times that we have about God and His Word. God is not afraid of that challenge. God's not wringing His hands, oh, how am I going to meet this challenge of this person who's uh, faltering a little bit in their faith? God is trustworthy, His Word is reliable, and it can handle the tests that we bring against it. God is big enough to handle these questions that we're asking of Him, and the proof is, as you say, that He's not afraid to record uh, the believer's doubts in the scriptures. Amen. Secondly, it does seem to me, and I think this is obviously what's going on with Asaph, that sometimes it's when life gets difficult, when some bad things start to happen, that we are prone to ask these questions. God, why are you letting this happen? Where are you? If I'm, if I'm really obeying you, why aren't you honoring me as I think you should be honoring me? So it does seem often that we're going to deal with these questions when we're in a really low place. Is that fair? Yeah, that's right. And, and that's the second thing. So first, Asaph says, you're not alone. Are you doubting? You're not alone. The Bible's all ready for you. God's all ready for you. He's up to this challenge, as you're saying. But then the second thing Asaph says is, this process of doubts, this, uh, this experience of doubt, it often starts as you go through life experiences that challenge what you grew up hearing. So I'm getting this from verses 1 to 3 of the psalm. Let me say it again. Asaph would say to us, he'd say, it often starts as you go through life experiences that challenge what you grew up hearing. All his life, Asaph grew up hearing in Sunday school, you know, let me transpose it again into our world. He grew up hearing, you know, God judges the wicked and he blesses the faithful. That's what he heard. And that's what he reaffirms in a sense in verse 1. He says, God is good. Okay, I, I've landed. And I reaffirm that God is good, but, verse 2, I almost slipped, I almost slipped over the brink into doubt, into walking away from the faith. And why was it? Verse 3, he says, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph grew up hearing the faithful teach the truths of the faith about God, but it was when he got out into the world, say, when he um, started looking around and he started to go through life experiences, he started seeing things that challenged whether what he heard growing up was true. And so he gives us a, a very well-articulated uh, description of the things he began to see. For instance, in verse 4, they have no pangs until death. And the NIV translates this verse, they have no struggles their bodies are healthy and strong. So Asaph, you know, he heard that God, um, he rewards people for being faithful to him, but Asaph's looking around and he's seen these wicked, God-denying people who are 
who are flaunting God's commands and living in open rebellion against him. And he's looking at them and he's seeing, man, these guys live long. They're well fed. They're well kept. They're conditioned. They have the ideal body looks, you know. Uh, they're smart, well dressed. And as much as we preach on the uncertainty of life, they never seem to die. And I remember, <laughs> I remember Matthew playing hockey with some guys. And I mean, in between each period, these guys were smoking and doping and drinking, and yet they still played the game better than me. You know, I thought, like, at least my cardiovascular should be better than these guys, right, Lord? I mean, but but no, their, their bodies are healthy and strong. Verse 5, the NIV says they are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. You know, the, the problems that happen to, to the most of us, like my basement flooding this spring, it just seems to skip right by them. Everyone goes well for them. And then verse 12 kind of summarizes how good they have it. It says, behold, in the ESV, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. Fortune comes to them in their sleep. They, they hardly have to lift a finger for it. Everything goes right for them. So if Asaph lived in our day, maybe he'd put it this way. He'd say, we go to Sunday meeting. They go out and play and shop and dine and work and play golf. We read and obey the Bible. They do whatever they feel like. We limit our sports and entertainment and holidays and spending on ourselves, but they pursue their own ends all out. They're all for themselves. And, and yet, though we hold up our end of the bargain, God isn't holding up his. We struggle. We're small. We have problems. Our cars break down. We have family issues. We're depressed. How on earth can non-Christians be happier than we are? We're stressed. They're at ease. Uh, they, they have all the fun. Maybe, maybe uh, Asaph would say, you know, we're, you're saving sex for marriage. Well, let's just say they're not. Like, shouldn't they be getting diseases? Shouldn't their life be falling apart? Uh, we refrain from certain kinds of movies. Shouldn't we at least perform better on the exams as a result or get, get more promotions? Whatever happened to God's promise, them that honor me, I will honor. It's a real question. <laughs> and so, uh, verse 13, Asaph says, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. He's saying, it doesn't pay to be godly. I've been faithful to the Lord. I've been denying myself. And God's not keeping his end of the bargain. And he's at the brink. He's ready to give up and throw out the whole thing. We might as well just join them. God's not doing his part. Well, here's, here's the point I'm trying to make, Matthew. That what started this trail of doubts was Asaph began to see things and experience reality in a way that challenged what he'd always been taught. So that does raise the issue a little bit. I think we'll we'll delve into this deeper in our next episode. But part of the issue here, you're saying, is what it was that he was taught in his hmm. younger or earlier years, right? Yeah, that's that's right. And and I think we do need to come back to this uh, in another episode. I mean. Some of what he taught was no doubt the truth. God is good. You know, God does honor those who honor him. But do we teach these things without nuance, right? And, and so you have the book of Job. You have so much in the Bible that, that says, okay, but not everything's black and white here. Like, there, we, we need some nuance to this discussion. Okay, so we, we do have to come back to that, and that's good. I appreciate what you said. Uh, also, I mean... <laughs> The, the things that Asaph is saying and the way you've presented it, like it, it's not 100% true, but when we do get a bit uh, down or discouraged, 
our perspective can get a little bit faulty, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So some of the some yeah. of the things Asaph is saying, I, I mean, it's, they're just not a hundred percent true. And and like other people's basements do flood sometimes, right? <laughs> and Asaph's going to gain that better perspective here in time through the psalm. We'll get there, but recognize that can be part of it. Is is when we do get a little bit down, um, we start to see that whatever the opposite of rose-colored glasses is, we start to see everything in a bad light, and uh, we get mm-hmm. focused on the negative. So. That's another yeah, factor and, there. Yeah, I guess uh, thorn-colored glasses, <laughs> um, or something like weed-colored glasses, maybe. Yeah, uh, but you're right, Matthew. The problem began when he saw. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But you're right, Matthew. The the problem in verse three was when he saw. But are we seen correctly? You know, our perception can be wrong. And, and we're going to find out that the solution comes also when Asaph saw something. And he saw reality um, more, more faithfully, more truthfully. So, two things. Um, you're not alone. Number two, it often happens when you start going out into life and you're seeing and experiencing things that challenge what you heard growing up. Number three, Asaph says, when you're in the middle of it all, be careful how you talk to others about it. When you're going through these doubts, be careful how you talk about it. Here's what he says in verse 15. He said, If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Truth is, back in verse 10, um, this is a difficult verse, but it seems like Asaph is saying that some of the Lord's people are turning after these these wicked men that he's he's looking at. and And they're actually, you know, gaining a following amongst those who profess faith in God. And so now in verse 15, Asaph says, listen, I, I recognize when I was going through all that, I had to be careful how I talked about it to others. Now, I've actually preached on this in places, and, and I've been misunderstood to, to say that if you're having doubts, you mustn't talk to anyone about it. You must never voice it. You must hide it. Well, I don't think that's the case. But, I mean, let's just face it, Matthew. Um, with you being given the calling you have, if you suddenly started having doubts about a core element of the faith and you started going all over Facebook and making YouTube videos and, and going into it and finding the best skeptics in the world who can, you know, say it so powerfully and quoting them and, and so on, that you would be betraying the people of the Lord, right? Yeah. It'd be, it'd be totally fine for you to confide in someone who could help you and you don't have to bottle it up, but you do have to be careful how you talk to others about it. So there's it. the point. There, there, there could be somebody or a, or a few people that I do want to talk to about this. Maybe they're people that have gone through it themselves, or maybe they're just people that I that I trust and uh, I know could be a help to me or will listen honestly to me and not just mm-hmm. um, react quickly. But the platform isn't maybe going to be the place for me to... <laughs> Uh, open up on all of these doubts and so mm-hmm. you're saying exercise some caution here try and exercise some self-control still find someone to talk to um, but that doesn't mean you're going to be preaching it from the rooftops mm-hmm. that's right yeah and then the fourth thing asaph would say to you if you're deconstructing or if you're struggling with doubts is don't stop talking to god about it and don't stop meeting with the church verses 16 to 17 he says in verse 16 when i thought how to understand this It seemed to me a wearisome task until, verse 17, I went into the sanctuary of God and then, then he experiences the solution. So we've just said in verse 15, 
you got to be careful how and who you talk to about this. But now we're saying in verses 16 and 17, don't stop talking to God about it. Don't stop praying that prayer. You know, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And don't stop meeting with the churches. Asaph says, all this was bothering me, but I, I kept doing the disciplines. You know, I kept reading the Bible. I kept praying and talking to God about it. And I kept going to the sanctuary, which, you know, could be the, he could be referring to the tabernacle in Shiloh. Uh, but for us, it would be coming to the meetings of the church. And Asaph says, it's then, as I faithfully kept doing those things, that God spoke to me and he helped me. And I said just a few moments ago that the problem in verse 3 started when he saw the wicked prospering. But now the solution begins in verse 17 when he comes into the sanctuary and he sees. What does he see? He sees the glory of God again. He sees the reality of God's holiness. He sees the greatness of eternity. He says, I discerned their end. He had doubted uh, God's justice because the wicked were prospering and the faithful were suffering. But now in the sanctuary, his eyes open and he discerns there and he begins to see the truth. Matthew, you commented on how some of these verses at the beginning are caricatures. <laughs> you know, the wicked don't actually have it that good. Asaph was wrong in his perception. Well, now um, uh, through coming into the presence of God, Asaph discerns the true state of things regarding the wicked. Yeah, there's actually a, a very memorable message burned into my mind from Psalm 73. It was about, I think it's it's about 16 years ago, almost to the day, honestly, now that I think about it, because it was at a conference, and it was at this time of year, I guess early October, and uh, the brother used the analogy of GPS, which at that time was sort of just coming into common public usage, I think. Uh, in people's cars and he said what's going on with Asaph here is he's getting recalibrated he said you know sometimes you're using your GPS you take a wrong turn and it used to spit out this message it would say recalibrating recalibrating well Asaph needs to get recalibrated and he gets recalibrated in the sanctuary so we don't want to stay away from the sanctuary and that's your point god is up to this challenge and we can bring these to god and even in our doubts and fears we want to keep coming to god with it keep those communication lines open well that's a helpful illustration and the fifth thing that asaph says to us goes along with that matthew the fifth thing asaph says is the result of going through this time of doubt can be a deeper knowledge of the truth and a deeper walk with God. This is verses 18 to 28. You can actually come out of this recalibrated, as you're saying, Matthew, uh, with a deeper hold on the truth, a deeper walk with God, not a shallower, not a, a more flimsy one, but a, a firmer faith. And so uh, as we come to this last part of the psalm, we discover that Asaph, he has appreciated truths that he always knew, but He's come to know them deeper, and, and he has a firmer grip on them than he ever had before. And so let me just summarize them. I think this is my summary. I don't think I've gotten this from someone else, but um, this is these are the three things that he, he comes to understand better. Number one, as for the wicked, they don't have it as good as it appears. They don't have it as good as it appears. So that's verses 17 to 20. We could spend a lot of time on this. 
He says in verse 18, Truly, Lord, like this is the truth, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. You, you see, Asaph's come to see, you know, I wasn't quite right about all those things I saw. You know, it looked outwardly and externally like the wicked were prospering, but as I come into the sanctuary, I discern the end of the wicked. I see it's not so. That God puts them in slippery places, that that they are not to be envied, but they are to be pitied. And so maybe you've heard of Jonathan Edwards' sermon, famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, using Deuteronomy 32, verse 35 of, as his text, which, which says, Their foot shall slide in due time. And Jonathan Edwards, he, he didn't always speak like this. He loved to speak about the beauties of heaven, but but there were times when he spoke graphically about the reality of hell. And he said, Unconverted men walk over the pit of hell on a rotten covering, and there are innumerable places in this covering so weak that they won't bear their weight, and these places are not seen. He says a little bit later, he says to the wicked, he says, All your righteousness would have no more influence to uphold you and keep you out of hell than a spider's web would have to stop a falling rock. Mike, when I when I hear those words and I recall reading that sermon from Jonathan Edwards years ago too, and it is it, it makes the point very dramatically and powerfully, but it is also why, you know, I, I would not want to be in the shoes of an unbeliever for even a moment. And however pleasurable or wealthy or great that moment may seem, in that moment I could die and be in hell. So not for a moment would we rather be in the shoes of someone who is separated from God. Mm -hmm. That's right. And Asaph sees that. He, he says, I'm not going to envy them anymore. As for the wicked, they don't have it as good as it appears. And then the second thing he learns is, is as for myself, my goodness isn't all that it appears. So this is verses 21 and 22. Uh, my goodness, he, he, he was saying, like, God should be so much better to me because I've been so good. But, but now he's realizing, you know what, I wasn't actually that good. He, he said back in verse 13, all in vain have I kept my heart clean. And Tim Keller um, makes the point that this reveals the true nature of Asaph's faith in God. Um, when we say to God, I'll serve you if, if you do X, then Keller points out it's actually X that we love. And God is just the necessary apparatus for obtaining it. And so Asaph begins to realize in verses 21 to 22, he says, when I was going through all that, when my soul was embittered, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you, God. Asaph realizes he's been like an animal to God. He's been, he's been using God. He thought, man, I've been so faithful to the Lord and I should be getting all these perks and blessings and benefits. But now having gone through this process of doubt, having come into the sanctuary, having had his eyes opened, he realizes, you know what? All that goodness that I thought I had, it actually wasn't all that it appears to be. We're not that much different from the wicked in our hearts. In fact, you know, as New Testament believers, we'd say we were the wicked and the ungodly and uh, were saved only by God's grace. All right, and then finally, uh, the third truth that Asaph gets a better grip on is, is, as for me, my situation is far better than it appears, verses 23 to 28. So uh, I won't go into this too long, but uh, basically Asaph's grasped three things, that the wicked don't have it as good as it looks, that 
we are not as good as we think we are and that our situation as believers is actually far better than what at first appears. And so he goes through these verses, how um, he says, I'm continually with you, God. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you'll receive me to glory. He's saying, he's saying I have peace with God. I'm held by God's hand. Uh, no one will snatch me out of my Father's hand. God has a plan for me. I have a great future of glory with God ahead of me. In verses 25 and 26, he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He, he comes to verse 28, and now he's singing. For me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your work. So, brothers and sisters, this is Asaph's deconstruction story. He went through tremendous doubt. He was seriously thinking about throwing in the towel, but God brought him through it. All the way through, God was guiding him with his counsel. God was holding him um, by, by the hand. You know, like a, a parent walks across the street with their little child. God was holding Asaph's right hand. The re why, why did Asaph not slip? He almost slipped. The wicked slip, he says. Why didn't Asaph? Because he was a true believer. And God was holding his hand. God was bringing him through. And Asaph came out the other side with a firmer uh, faith, a stronger faith, a deeper faith, and a more nuanced faith, and a greater joy in God. All right, Mike, you've made some excellent points, uh, brothers and sisters. I want you to particularly hear again that God is big enough to handle these doubts and these questions and uh, our needs to deconstruct at times, God is able to uphold us and to bring us through those. Mike, what would you like to leave our listeners with for a, a summarized closing message? Yeah, if you're struggling with doubts, um, maybe there's three or four things I just want you to hear as, as this episode winds up. Number one, remember you're not alone. Not only are there other believers who are also struggling with many, many things, many, many faith issues, but as we come to the end of the psalm, we realize you're not alone because God is with you, right? He's, he's holding your hand. Be confident that he'll bring you through. Others have been through, and they've come out the other side. Asaph is an example. Many of us have, and God can bring you through. So, so remember that truth. Secondly, be guarded about how you talk about this. Not asking you to bottle it up, but look for trusted people who can help you to confide in. And you don't need to broadcast it over widely and so on. And, and then thirdly, keep going. Keep going to hear the preaching of the word. Keep reading your Bible. Keep going into the sanctuary. Keep asking the Lord to help you. And finally, ask God to open your eyes to see, to see with true sight, right? And this is what we looked at in Ephesians 1 recently, that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened so that we may know. Make that your prayer, that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him so that you could know him better. And what I like about that reference in Ephesians 1, Mike, again, just coming back to our thoughts on that chapter, it's okay to ask God for that. I mean, that was a, an explicit prayer that Paul had for the Ephesians. It expresses a desire that God has for us. We don't just need to... <laughs> Uh, you know, wait and see and hope that this happens. This is something we can pray about and we can ask God to work in our hearts towards. Amen. So where do we go from here? Uh, Matthew, 
you are you are going to do an episode with us next, I think, on um, some further thoughts on deconstruction. Correct. And then maybe in the following week, I will share a little deconstruction story of my own and hope that will be helpful to listeners as well. All right. I'm sure it will. And listeners, we hope you have found today helpful. Again, we're always happy to hear some feedback from you, whether through the social media channels that Alison Flint kindly manages for us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, uh, or contacting us by email at info at practicologypodcast.com. Thanks so much for tuning in today. May the Lord bless you all. Mm-hmm.